Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we have longtime patron, Lord of All Chris's, back with another two-parter prompt. But before we get into that, remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, guess what? Twitter, at Let's World Build. That's where you can find us, if you want. It's no big deal. You can come join our Discord, chat with us about this and many other of our world building settings. We just had a full month full of spooky times and man did we have fun speaking of if you wanted to give us money and come join our patreon you can do that as well where you'll have a lot more access to the double spooky episode that we gave for our patron only aphid lounge episodes that was a lot of fun of course it is always appreciated if you can donate money never required uh we love all of our listeners thank you all so much for listening And with all of the shilling out of the way, let's get right into it and jump into the prompt. So Lord of all Chris's wrote to us, I have a prompt for you that might be a bit of a challenge, though Daniel might like it a lot. Almost every world building exercise works under the assumption that there is a quote unquote present time that the world is going to be set in. The stories, characters, and other useful bits are set at a specific period of time at most maybe a decade or two of time span. I'd like to see a world built that could tell a story that involves beings that perceive time very differently from our own. Kind of like Dr. Manhattan from The Watchmen, or the beings from the DS9 wormhole. Each of these beings would exist over the span of a thousand years simultaneously. They would be able to see the consequences of their actions happen across time almost instantaneously. It's up to you how many of these beings there are and how much they interact with society as a whole, but I would like them to be a known entity to the average person in the world. I'd also like to have there be a single main being of this type that is central to the stories that you would tell about this world. I think it would be interesting to have each of you come up with your own quote-unquote time within the 1,000-year span of this being, and then figure out how the being connects all those times, since it would be seeing them all play out at the same time. Uh, Say time four more times for me, please. Um, (laughs) On to the tenets. Tenet number one. Each of the being lives for 1,000 years at the same time, though several beings may overlap their lifespans. Number two, the beings are well known to society at large. And tenet number three, Daniel must give a five to 10 minute sermon on the scientific principles surrounding such beings. So uh, we're going to we're going to knock that out of the way first, I guess, Daniel. You have a prepared statement for us and the listeners. Oh, God. First, my prepared statement is I hate you. <laughs> my, I will proceed from there. Uh, no, I don't hate our listeners. Only some of them. Um, so. Hey, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. That might sound bad, but for Daniel, that's pretty good. That, that's pretty <laughs> yeah, reasonable. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, so this is a this is a difficult one to talk about because Jesus, anything involving time and science, you know, like for one, I am neither a scientist or a physicist, and all that I know is just based on reading arbitrary kind of pop science stuff. So God forbid anyone who is actually a physicist listens to this podcast. But for the purposes <laughs> of understanding this for fiction, I can be of some help. Um, so uh, this is a, a concept that I feel like has been done a lot in in fiction already. You know, we have Dr. Manhattan, as you mentioned, um, we've got the DS9 aliens, as we mentioned. Um, a more classic version would be the Trolf Elmadorians from Slaughterhouse Five. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how you say them. Um, and in terms it's of Trolf like, Amadorian, isn't it? Trolf, Am I wrong? No, it's a Trolf. You're probably right. Trolf Amadorian. Then it sounds better. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, Doctor Who. I, I can't oh, help but think of, of Doctor yeah. Who as well. Yeah. Okay. It kind of Continue. has that omnipresent sort of ability um mm. and then in in terms of like narrative perspective like isaac asimov um the foundation series the character isn't um out of time in that sense but at least he's telling the story from this like um as a holograph from this kind of omnipresent point of view but when we think about what does it mean uh, to be i guess omnipresent would be the word being be living or existing in multiple points in time um, as opposed to like a singular point in time what we're used to. We have to go back to, I guess, like a couple of classical views of um, how the universe is structured. Um, And until really relativity solidified one of the other, there were two concepts of it. One is called presentism. The other one's called eternalism. Um, And so the simple explanation of those two presentism just means only the present exists the future and the past don't exist so there's no way to get to them because they they literally don't exist the universe only is the present and eternalism says the past the present and the future all exist they're all real places they all can reference each other and it turns out at least in real in the real world eternalism wins out because special relativity supports that view it's compatible with special relativity. And so the, at least in, in, in the, the regular universe, the idea is that, um, you know, people that are far enough away from each other moving at different speeds, they can have observations of each other um, relative to each other where the order of things isn't consistent. And that's okay because in a sense, we're all separated by these gulfs of time, which is to say like, you know, now for the dinosaurs 65 million years ago, is consistent with us having a now today. And both of those points of view, those places are real, like they're actual points in space and time. And so like the eternalism of like our modern conception of the universe, um, it doesn't make sense to talk about time as this global thing. You have to think about it as what is what does time mean relative to something? So like my present is relative to all the people in my frame of reference, meaning lower than the speed of light, um, as opposed to if I'm on Venus, well, let's not say Venus, let's say Alpha Centauri, my now um, is only relative to the people in that frame of reference, right? So there's some implications. Um, you know, the implications is the first one, which I just said, that like the, the, the present, the past and the future is only meaningful from the perspective of someone, right? And all people's presence are equally valid. There's no simultaneous now in the universe. Um, And then of course, and this is the most interesting one, time travel becomes possible because in presentism, if the past and future don't exist, then we can't go there. But in eternalism, they do exist. So we can go there. I mean, we're constantly traveling to the future, obviously, right? 
if we go really fast, we can travel faster into the future. Um, going into the past is a different question, but it's technically possible. So going back to our aliens, right? What does it mean to have a being that's omnipresent? Um, there's a couple of ways I think you can work with us in science uh, from a scientific point of view or like a, a pseudoscience point of view. Um, you can take the Star Trek approach. So it's Star Trek, you know, one way to view what the ship is doing when it travels at warp is to say that it enters a special frame of reference. So what does that mean? That means like we've talked about frames of reference being my frame of reference in Alpha Centauri versus my frame of reference on Earth. Those are two nows that are independent of each other. Well, the Star Trek ship enters a special frame of reference that's relative to everything in the universe. So suddenly it's an absolute frame of reference. It is omnipresent in a sense, in one sense. And that's how you get around that because it, its frame of reference is relative to everyone else. Now, the problem with that is it violates special relativity. It doesn't make sense in the context of, of that theory. Um, the other solution is the being is higher dimensional. So it, it, it maybe it exists across multiple frames of reference. It has a, a, the capacity to move like through a higher dimension, um, you know, that's out of our, out of our three plus time. Or maybe its consciousness extends into the other dimension, and that's why it's able to have um, an existence in more than one place. And then the last thing I would say before there's a few fun implications for at least the fiction, in any either case, you have like these paradoxes of causality, right? So if I can travel into my past, I'm going to create logical paradoxes. And there's a number of solutions to that, at least fictionally. You know, one is that when you go into the past um, or even in, when you interact with your own past, um, you create an alternate universe where that instance of what you did is, is the case. And that's the many worlds theory. And the alternative is kind of the Doctor Who solution, which is that anything you do in the past was always part of the timeline. And so the you whole universe is this crazy knot of time travelers interacting with themselves and they can't really change anything because anything they change always was. And that's one way out of it. Um, but the, fu the fun stuff, after all that crap is out of the way, <laughs> what, would, what would a time being, this being who exists in multiple points of view, like what would they be like? And I think we've, we have that answered in some examples in fiction. Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen suggest that such a being would not have emotions we understand. Because if you think about the emotions we have, they're all based on some sense of linear time. Like when we have hope or fear or anticipation, these are about things to be in the future. If we don't have a sense of the future, then we can't really have those sort of emotions. Um, when we think about regret or nostalgia or love, we're thinking about things that happened or even trust in the past. So such a being would have a very different relationship to those emotions if they have emotions. The DS9 aliens behave similarly. Like they're, they don't really, they're kind of emotionless or flat. They may have contrary opinions about free will because just like in Dr. Manhattan's case, like he's incapable of changing the future because all of his events, all of the things he can do have already happened. So all he's, a, all he's able to do is to acknowledge that they happened. <laughs> he can't really do anything other than what was and is already. Death doesn't mean anything. Like if you think of the um, Tralfam, Tralfamadorians, is that it? Tralfamadorians, mm -hmm. right? Their view of death is that um, you've got this kind of being that exists for a certain gulf of time. And their existence is the transformation from gestation to a living being, to some other form of matter. But as far as they're concerned, they're always there. They can the, mm -hmm. visit the view of them at any point, but they don't go away. So death would have a very different perspective. 
And then even like viewing a person would be different. Like when I look at someone right now, I'm looking at them in three dimensions of space and at this moment, right? But if I'm someone who, is, who has awareness that's omnipresent, I would be looking at them in three dimensions of space and then at every point in time prior to the present and in the future, they'd be this horrific millipede of, mm-hmm. of time. And that's what the aliens also view in Slaughterhouse-Five. And then the last thing I would say to consider is that if they if their thinking isn't um, instantaneous in the sense that like we have memories, we can't automatically remember everything we we knew, right? The same is probably true of such an alien, but if their thinking is instantaneous, they can be aware of all the present and the past, their perspective would be that of a photon, which is crazy. A photon mm. has no experience of time. Everything happens all at once for it. The beginning and the end of the universe is all happening all at once and it's over. Even though the photon is traveling through an infinite universe where there's a lot of perspectives it passes through. So that being mm-hmm. may not even have an awareness of the universe. So that's that's my spiel for what to think about when it comes to an omnipresent being such as um, our listener wants. Well, Daniel, thank you for taking us through that journey. I hope your dissertation defense goes well. Uh, <laughs> that uh, that was a lot, but I think that we satisfied that tenet immediately. So, like, great job. Deeply appreciate it. And yes, also, yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm thinking of Slaughterhouse-Five as well. I'm thinking of uh, the Tralfamadorians, like, view time. And they've already seen, like, the existence or the end of the universe. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's because they tried to invent something better than air conditioning. As you do, you know. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> as yeah. you do. <laughs> I don't like Vonnegut very much, but I I appreciate Vonnegut. And that's definitely something that I appreciate about him is like, damn, he's fun and clever, you know. But like, I've never really connected to many of his stories in a way that I've been like really into, if that makes sense, you know. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on because, damn, that was that's an interesting topic to think about. And I'm really excited to uh, discover how this kind of plays out in our setting. And Daniel, I'm going to give you some time to rest and I'm going to let Courtney <laughs> tell us the first of our tenets to kick us off. All right. Uh, my first one is the world that we're building is actually multiple small worlds in that the the main planet is this large inhospitable thing, but it's orbited by a handful of life-sustaining moons. And that's going to be our setting. Oh, neat. Neat. Hmm. Okay. I can't help but think of this as like an atom of some kind, you know, with like it's mm. uh, swirling protons and neutrons and stuff like that. So that's kind of interesting. Like that's just where my brain goes in terms of visualization. What do we want these moons to look like exactly? Are they going to be like biomes? Or are they going to be like full, little like mini planets each time? Like what are we thinking? Yeah, I didn't. I honestly didn't have anything in particular in mind for them. I think we could approach it yet yeah, either way as like, hmm. you know, we have like the icier one that's a bit further out or something or one that's like volcanic or something. Or we could mm-hmm. do like a more temperate earth like environment. Hmm. Do you hmm. see them as natural moons or um, artificial moons? Ooh. I was picturing natural moons, but maybe there is an artificial one in the mix. Is it just a big hologram? Like, like, like those conspiracy theories. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. One of the conspiracy theories is that it's a hologram. Yeah. The moon is fake and a hologram. Yeah. Wow. I didn't, I haven't heard that one before. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's also, um, there's also one that the moon is actually hollow, 
But mm. hollow earth theory has been around since like the 1800s, you know? Yeah, so like yeah. that to, to kind of put that on the moon doesn't surprise me, but the hologram one is, is quite <laughs> bizarre to me. It's magical. Yeah. No, it's, it's not magical. It's science, Daniel. It's actually, um, <laughs> it's actually the lizard people who are creating the illusion of a moon to continue, mm. uh, to, to get us to think that the world is flat so okay when do we get to do our um flat earth prompt someone send us an, a flat earth prompt with nazis and lizard people please <laughs> okay uh maybe not so much the nazis <laughs> but lizard people yes space nazis just do an anagram so nobody notices yeah see like i'm <laughs> like cool with anagram nazis you know yeah. like uh zinnas or something like that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah whatever okay um cool <laughs> well this this is immediately off the rails just immediately right on, like right? daniel did his like very smart summation of what we're dealing with and then just imme- i'm just immediately rolling around in the mud yeah exactly <laughs> yeah this this is the good balance that we seek to aim. Mm-hmm. yeah anyway all right so that that's very good and daniel i'm going to continue to let your voice rest and i'm going to go with my tenant next uh which is these beings live simultaneous lives all at once so they can actually meet themselves and because they're mutable they can actually like fall in love or become rivals with themselves at different points of existence oh neat. Oh, that's weird so they're like multiple almost multiple beings in one well, no, they're they're the same entity. It's just that the way that we perceive time, we will see them as like, oh, wow, you got you you look very similar, or like, oh, you have the same vibe, or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, it's just like we're seeing them at the same. So, as Daniel put it, right, imagine them as a millipede of time, right, just mm-hmm. like infinite spaces, and so. Eventually, I mean, or at some points, they're just going to overlap because that's how their existence works. And so they can continue to exist multiple people all at the same time. So imagine if all of the doctors from Doctor Who had like one of their crazy crossover specials and like that's basically what it is, just how time kind of works that way. Yeah. So they're like um, they're technically one being that kind of can wrap around on itself sometimes. Multiple times. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like a, it's like a coil, but mm-hmm. also like um, it's it's wrap. Yeah, it, wrapping around on itself makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So like a, we could say like the third arm of it reaches for its fourth arm. And that's really two instances of, uh, of the same thing. Right. In that space. Yeah. Right. And, and there's no paradox happening here because it's like it's one being. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So they're allowed to exist all at the same time because to them, time doesn't really move necessarily it just is. So is that the case for one of them? So there's multiples of there's, there's many different versions. Or sorry, like he talked oh. about different um, thousand year beings, right? Mm-hmm. So is one yeah. thousand year being this coiled being? Another one is similar, or are they all the same being? In the I, end? I was I was going to argue. I'm like, well, the Lord of All Christmas says in the prompt like that there's a central one, right? Yeah. But if we make the central one all of them all at once, then we can cheat that that kind of oh, concept like and have like basically everyone be a main character. But like at yeah. the same time, we want to respect it a little bit and like kind of mm-hmm. narrow it down to like how many doctors are there now? Eleven. <sighs> so maybe we can keep it down to just like eleven principal characters for now. You could say like just so you're saying you say that's true. But the the accumulated ones. So maybe they're not all aware of the fact that they're all part of one larger one. 
And that larger one has its own identity. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, like you could play that off in like a villainous role or like a sage yeah. role. Like, there's a number of things that you could do. That's that's very cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is interesting. So it's almost like they they sort of multiply themselves, and yeah, it's like a whole race of like the same being, being as multiple being. Yeah, this is yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, this is what happens when you do a time shit. All right, like God. time shit is dumb. <laughs> and it, yeah, it could be exactly. like steps, steps, right? So, like, if if one one thousand year millipede time being to a human is one dimension removed, that would mean that the group of all millipede thousand year beings is one dimension removed from a thousand year millipede being. I see. Daniel, what you stop. Mean. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, okay. One thing I do want to point out. I here. didn't even drink this morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not yet. Uh, w- one thing I do want to point out, though, by the way, time is fake. Uh, like, we make it up. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's only our concept of time. Like, it's only us that, like, we're able to perceive time. And, like, I know that it is a real thing that exists outside of us. I'm not trying to argue that. But our perception of time. So the idea that, like, we have a thousand years a year is a completely arbitrary uh, mm-hmm. measurement, right? There's no, there's no definitive year, especially if, as Daniel was saying, we're talking about it from multiple perspectives. Like a year to us is a revolution around the sun, right? Yeah. That is not mm-hmm. really how time would necessarily work, right? Like to yeah. us, it's just our perception and our measurement of something. So when I hear year, like a thousand years, I'm like, I am going to be very loose with how I interpret that. In, in some ways, you know? Yeah, I think that's fair, given that we're working supposedly from the perspective of these things that like right. completely view time differently. Especially since we're in, we've established now a different system than the Earth. Yeah. You know, like its revolutions oh, yeah. might be different. So when we say thousand year, we're just going to mean relative to whatever the system is. You know? right. A very long time of some, yeah. some extent. Yeah. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. And and to your point, Rob, too, like those beings will obviously have a different view of that. Like to them, I mean, depending on their mentality, they might be five minutes ago. It might have been 50 million years. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Like, See, I, I'm, I'm picturing it as they're looking at time as like a picture. So it's a measurement of distance rather than of, you know, like time right. necessarily, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, cause I, well, actually, now that I say that, I feel like time is distance in a lot of ways, you know, like that's another method of how I mean, we measure Welcome it. to relativity. Yeah, like exactly. Just pinned it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, let, let, let's move on. <laughs> Daniel, hit us with your first tenet. What do you got for us after, after your dissertation? Um, I was focused on the time being. So one of my tenets is that these beings aren't omniscient um, and they have memories. So Mm. while they have an existence that um, it has a total awareness of the past and present from their perspective, they're not aware of this all at once. So, you know, just like I don't remember exactly what happened in 1985, a year after I was born uh, at 10 o'clock, right? They don't remember what will happen in 5840, you know, on October 11th at this time, even though it's they have that in their memory. Mm-hmm. So they're not omniscient in the sense that they can recall that they they have memories. And so it becomes they're, they're not like uh, they don't have that godlike ability that we assume such a being would. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's not necessarily perfect. Rec- and maybe that's like part of how they exist is that their memories are stored in different 
versions of themselves, if that makes sense. You know, part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So differently. And and mind you, I, I think it would be really interesting if they don't necessarily match up with that experience. Right. So like, yeah, they could be experiencing a lifetime of someone else or have memories of a lifetime of someone else. Right. Or another part of themselves, I guess. That's right? that's like, what I mean. That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because I mean, I w- I would agree for them that they do know the whole future of the universe, right? Because that's the premise. But they just they don't necessarily remember all of it at once. You know? Right. It's like fuzzy to them, or they might like get the order of things wrong, mm-hmm. especially given how they perceive time. Like, yeah, I, I like that idea. Well, I I think what you could do there as well is that like the various personalities, right? They would all be pieces of a puzzle. So like if you could right. get them all in one space, you would they could reason have it out. omniscience, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it yeah. could all like cross-reference with each other. Exactly. Because then their memories, just like if you get like a hundred people together to remember a pivotal event they've all been a part of, right. they can then piece it together. Because technically all these pieces of this millipede being does remember all of it. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Right. And I, I think that's a really interesting conceit, especially if we don't use them as the main character. Like, that's an interesting plot device, mm-hmm. right? Like, hey, we need to get these three uh, beings together so oh, we can yeah. get this information, you know, like so all of a sudden remember. it becomes a mystery. Yeah. Remember exactly. the future almost, mm-hmm. which would be yes. even more interesting, you know? Okay, why why does remember the future sound like back to the future? Like that sounds like <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a consequence of our human linearity, the our human mm-hmm. subjective perception of time. Our language has it very embedded in it, you know. Indeed, sir. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also um, makes me draw a parallel between these beings that are like sort of fractured versions of their original core self or something and this earth and the moons that have kind of fractured off of it. So I'm wondering if that that's related in some way, like oh. yeah, thematically appropriate, but completely by happenstance, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. So yeah. I wonder if that was connected in some way, like at some point in time, the the fracturing of the planet into however many moons we decide on is related to the. the Hold on, I'll tell you. Yeah. Hold on, I got gotcha. you. All right, so we have. 11 moons. There 11 we go. moons. Okay. Nice. <laughs> perfect. Which is perfect because then if you add the planet, that's 12 bod- celestial bodies, which is a nice round number. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Look at mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, right. does each moon correspond to a fragmented millipede being? Oh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I, I suppose we'll have to discover that. You know? mm-hmm. uh, speaking of, Courtney, hit us with your second tenet, please. Yes, uh, mine also relates to the beings. A being, or perhaps a small group of them, um, had at some point cut themselves off from civilization as a whole because they felt overwhelming guilt at being able to see how any given action of theirs could deeply impact the trajectory of like regular people. Hmm. That's very interesting because like you can still have that group in the way like. Now, now we're just kind of like playing at these bits and pieces. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. We just introduced this element, but maybe the parts that got together and realized like, oh, we're responsible for something, you know, but maybe that's working with like some level of um, misinformation. Like, oh, we need more pieces to see how this fits. But for now, like there's just been a grouping of them. They're like, oh, we caused the apocalypse, right? Or like uh, we caused the yeah. end of existence. And that might not be true. Right. right. But 
but from their perspective, because they are working from imperfect memory of the past and future, then like they they feel that guilt anyway. It's like, oh, this happened because of us. This is the only inference that we can make from this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. And there's, you could even like, if you wanted to make things even neater, you could say that the one who isolated themselves is the whole, essentially. What do you mean? So like we have this one that is the whole, the oh, one that, that is, you. that understands that it is all, right? Could mm. be the one that isolated itself on purpose. I see. Oh, interesting. Because it understands the whole. Oh, maybe it in its fracturing process lost some of its memories and that's why it's like oh yeah ridden with guilt oh, because it, good. it's misremembering things that haven't happened yet yes i i really like that because the fracturing represent yeah absolutely a hundred percent corny that's great and that's why the other beings haven't been able to like reconstitute themselves is mm-hmm. because this one is in hiding yeah, yeah that's great Perfect. that that adds like a level of dramatic tension that and like yeah, that's awesome. That's great, some great fun job. Fetty on my cake. Yeah. What'd you say, Daniel? That's some funfetti on my cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wait, funfetti goes in the cake, Daniel. It goes in the the funfetti is the name of the icing. No, but there's also funfetti. There's cake. a funfetti. Oh, cake. there's there's true funfetti in the in the well, cake bits too. But there's the icing, <laughs> which is funfetti icing, my favorite kind. Okay. Well, uh, you okay. okay. You didn't say icing. You said cake, Daniel. That's yeah, on okay. the cake. But, oh, did they say in the cake? I meant. You on know the what? Cake. Okay. For the sake of argument, it's funfetti icing with a funfetti cake, and we're yes, just gonna call that it. That is okay? the best kind of cake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now we know what to make Daniel for his birthday, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which is wait, did that just happen? Or yeah, that just happened, didn't it? I just <laughs> turned fifty-one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, you accidentally outed yourself by saying that you're born in eighty-five, Daniel. So. I yeah. did. No, I wasn't mm-hmm. born eighty five though, so I didn't. Well, myself. you said it was a year. You after said it was your birth. Yeah, year after your eighty five. But you, you, you fucked you, up. Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly, yeah. yeah. Hypothetical. <laughs> so let's see, Daniel. You're you're almost forty. Dear God, man, what the fuck? I'm, I'm fifty one. Why are we hanging out with an old <laughs> fossil, Courtney? What the fuck's happening? Elders, I'm fifty one. Uh, near retirement. Daniel, can you look down at your wrist right now? And it, do you see a red glowing uh, thing under your skin or something? Like My that? pellucid lich skin? You mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say that. No, word. do you not know Logan's Run? That's the reference I'm trying to make. Oh, I've never oh seen that. yeah, I gotcha. Okay. okay, yeah. okay. Although I've seen so many like shitty versions of the like shitty knockoffs of that movie. <laughs> I mean, Logan's Run wasn't even that good to begin with. So, like, <laughs> like there's so many like modern versions where it's like young people have they like, have a, like a limit on their lifespan, and it's just like a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't. But I don't think surprising. I've seen Logan's Run though. That's the thing. I've only seen the shitty version. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to have a watch party of Logan's mm-hmm. Run at yes. some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> with all that preamble, uh, I'm gonna just roll into my second tenet, which is. We just had an entire month of spooky spookiness, which I love, but understand that that's not for everyone. And thus, I'm going to make my second tenet that one, it's it's, it's kind of a two-parter, but not really. Okay. One, we have to focus more on the lighter side of things. Specifically, though, I wanted to focus on themes of discovery and connection. 
And considering how thematically appropriate that is, considering we have fracture as like a pre-established thing, I think this works out pretty remarkably well. Um, but yes, that that is what I wanted to introduce as my second tenet. Yeah, that that works for me. I'm all for going away from the uh, horribly depressing horror uh, that we'd had for the past month. You say that, but you just had to mute your microphone from the withering wail that you let out. You're like, <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah, a minimal suffering in this one, please, mm. Courtney. Mm. Courtney specifically. <laughs> wow, wow. I'm, this is slander. I'm always a fan of that. I'm, I'm a, a huge Star Trek fan, so I'm totally on board with that. Yeah. Good. good. Uh, I, I thought you said when you were a huge fan of that, I thought you meant Courtney suffering at the <laughs> lack of suffering in our setting. But yeah. Well, Courtney would be a fan of me being a fan of Courtney suffering at a lack of suffering. Oh, uh, yeah. Because she enjoys oh, suffering. We're yeah, like splitting okay. off into different beings of yeah, suffering. We're, we're, we're recurring on our, yeah, we're becoming <laughs> recursions of ourselves at this point. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so mine's real simple. I think that's, it's an easy way to kind of approach the setting. Daniel hit us with your second tenant and final tenant. So I, this will uh, impact our, Oh, there's one thing I, I wanted to mention about the premise that I forgot to comment on very okay. briefly. And that is the submitter said um, he doesn't want there to be a present in most stories. There's a, a now. Right. And I think that that's not possible. And why the reason why I say that is you can there's always a narrative present. Um, but what I think he's pointing at is a story that's more like Isaac Asimov from Foundation, where the perspective is pulled out. Now, that doesn't mean there's no present. That just means the present is from the perspective that's pulled out. So like mm. Harry Selden, Selden, I believe, that's the now. It just happens to be zoomed out. Mm -hmm. um, so even in this kind of setup, we're going to have a narrative present. It's just that's different than a literal present. I, I think uh, to kind of build off of that point, I think what they're more interested in is this idea of like seeing a gulf of time elapse yeah. within the setting, you yeah. know, like exactly. within a thousand years or so. So and that's yeah. that's what like something like a foundation novel does. But right. Just to be clear that in case anyone's listening, like we're not abandoning the concept of a present because there has to be a narrative present in any sort. Right. Ex exactly. We could almost approach it like an anthology of stories yeah. that like from various times. But of course, within those, we do need like some time to focus on because we are human mm -hmm. beings and our brains can't handle. Spoiler, <laughs> we're not doing factions for next episode. We're bringing in time periods. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, way to ruin that for our listeners, Courtney. <laughs> there is a book I read a billion years ago when I was 51. <laughs> uh -huh. No, 50. When the Earth was just cool. <laughs> yes, when the Earth was cooling and unicellular organisms evolved. Um, and I don't remember the name of the book because I don't know, it was like 11 or 12 or something. I didn't understand it. But it was this, it was a horrible book, but it was very short and it, it attempted to write without a narrative present in the sense that they were these very abstract things happening, but I think it failed a as a story, but I, I think it, it might be possible to do something experimental just to put a caveat to what You're I was not saying. talking about Dahlgren by Sam Delaney. No Dahlgren. I, okay. I tried to read that in grad school and I hated it. Um, that's definitely not short. That's like a billion pages. Oh, yeah, that's, true. Pages. that's true. Yeah. yeah I didn't like, I mean, I liked it conceptually. I just couldn't read it. Just hated it. But this book was very slim. It was very weird. I'll never remember the title of it. I don't know how anyone will with this minimal description, but it was like kind of these weird abstract aliens, almost like, um, uh, what's that big sci-fi that has the aliens that exist in the outer void and they're like, um, oh, 
oh, fuck, I'll never remember the name of that one either. Um, but that's more of a conventional like pop science fiction story. This one was like a one-off and it was really weird. Just my whole point is it's probably possible to try and do that without a narrative present because that book I think tried to do that. I just don't think it was coherent as a book. <laughs> so, okay. But anyway, I'm on to my tenant. If you um, could root through the, the memory palace of Daniel's yes. mind and uncover <laughs> that book series for him, that would be great listening. I don't know what it is. It was yeah, honestly, no, that's uh, an yeah. impossible task to it's ask impossible. of someone from that description. Yeah. Like I honestly was like, God, <laughs> I think the closest thing that I've read to that was, um, this is how you lose the time war, but that's, a more oh, recent right. one and it does mm-hmm. still have like a narrative flow to it because you are still following these two characters but they do like jump throughout time so mm-hmm. it's sort of disorienting mm-hmm. that way but there's still like a a flow to what they're experiencing Courtney, can i mm-hmm. tell you how disappointed our bingo listeners are when you said <laughs> you know this reminds me of in response to a sci-fi thing and you didn't say octavia butler yeah or like come on like you people had their pens like ready to scratch <laughs> it off know. and you just yeah you just cock blocked them it's not- <laughs> I mean, to underscore what courtney's saying there i think the reason why is because in any story um in order for the story to be good i would argue like you have to have a point of view right <laughs> so it, even though that this is how you lose a time war might occur multiple times like there's a point of view of characters right, right. you have characters i think this one that i was reading tried not to have a character arguably um. maybe the setting was the character but it was like incoherent and that's, I think, mm. what would happen if you tried to do that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds too abstract to like yeah. be able to focus on. At all. It sounds very postmodern in the worst yes. way possible. <laughs> exactly. I'm a, I'm a fan of postmodernism. I am not a fan of that nonsense. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I don't know if I'll ever find it. I'll try. Anyway, my, my tenant was, and this we can change slightly because I don't, you know, don't want to put shackles on like narratively what we do. My tenant was, while well, these beings have an awareness of everything has happened or will happen in their time period, they can't physically take action during it. So they're either oracular, like a statue or prisoners of space, but not time Mm. in some way. Hmm. How do we, okay. That's an interesting conceit. Mm. How do they have agency of any kind? I think they would have agency in that they do have memories. They can speak right. And other things. And so in that way they could all influence others. I could restrict this tenant to just the one that's hidden away. Like that mm. one oh, cannot yeah. physically affect anything anymore. I think that's more in line sure. with like what Courtney came up with, if we want. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's narratively more interesting as well, yeah. because then, like I said before, we're like this, you're building a mystery by getting other people or other beings Involved. together. Yeah. Right. Like that, that is, I think, a little bit more interesting overall. Because mm-hmm. yeah. then like the, the fragments can move around and do stuff, but the big one is like restricted. Right. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that like, you get to the center of the universe where the central being is and you open a door and it's like some guy, just like <laughs> some like really plain looking guy from like the Midwest. It's like, Hey, what's up guys? And it's like, like, that's the, like, like that's the omniscient being of, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a good idea, Daniel. I think it to, mm-hmm. to like restrict it to just the central being makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Maybe it's like a state that they can put themselves in. But maybe it's just that the other ones don't remember that they can put themselves into that like yeah. sort of meditative oh, yeah. shutdown state. Yeah, I, th- I think that's an interesting conceit as well. Yeah, and and I'd be okay with like the being if you go to it or you interact with it, you can get information out of it. It just can't move around and do stuff. That's, mm-hmm. that's my whole. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Because it's literally moving around and doing stuff. <laughs> it's doing stuff like, <laughs> like infinite times already. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 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 
Okay. And it would also, I mean, part of the point of the Senate was to take some power away from our beings because mm-hmm. we already made them such that they're not omniscient. That's a big power differential takeaway, oh, yeah. which is good. Huge, yeah. Huge, yeah. Huge, you know, and yeah. the one that is omniscient at least can't physically do things. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate that. I have a question about our beings, though. Can we kill them? Oh. Mm. And like, what would that represent? I think our perspective of killing one would be for that piece to be broken or removed. It might be the same as like, can you cut a piece of flesh out of something? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think killing one would be like wounding it and cutting a part of it out. That's, that's kind of Mm -hmm. my thinking as well. Right. Is that, but I mean, but there has to be some regenerative process or like at least some process wherein, you know, that piece can come back if possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, Per the first tenet of the prompt that like one being lives for some amount of time, a thousand years, he said. Mm-hmm. So they must like kind of die off at some point or or turn into something different or change mm. forms, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think overall as an entity it can die because if it has a lifespan, I mean, it may have an awareness of everything in the future of its of its lifespan, everything in the past of its lifespan. But it doesn't mean these beings are aware of the beginning of the universe, the end of the universe. They yeah. just are aware of a thousand year time period. Yeah. Mm. And when they die, their probably their perspective of death would be not being able to see any further into the future because they become some other state of matter, like a decayed state of matter. Mm-hmm. All right, you fuckers, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to suggest, right? So the thousand year time period that we have is like kind of like the marker like the central being knows everything that's going to happen within that thousand year period. Right. That's right. kind of what we've established. Yeah. And it's aware of it at all times. Right. Yeah. All right. But only within that time frame of a thousand years. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what if like, what if it's lifespan or what if the thousand years that it's basically in charge of is basically part of a larger, more expansive entity that lasts the entire span of time. And so it's mm-hmm. like this thousand year entity or being is basically just getting refreshed every thousand years or so. It's like, it's a limited, it's, it's kind of like, okay, we've run out of space on our hard drive. We need to move to a new hard drive and that transition from a thousand years. And that's what their life looks like. It's that refresh part, you know? Oh, interesting. So it is like this, one larger thing that also kind of fractured off. It's just like fracturing the whole way down. As exactly. Exactly. Cause, cause cool. I, I imagine like that's an interesting way to, have, to approach time as well, you know, mm-hmm. like to see it as a decentralized thing that have like core values in some ways or like core mm-hmm. similarities in some ways, you know, I'm not opposed to the idea, but I would ask like, well, how does it serve the narrative? Like, so for example, um, if the narrative's focused on, say, finding the one who is all of them, is that like an extra revelation that's like, you know, blow your mind bonus that, yes. that it reveals to them? I think that would be cool. Yeah, this is, it's just iceberg shit. You know, okay, it's cool. like, it's that would stuff, be cool then. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I because I, was, I, I think it was Courtney who asked, like, why, what does the lifespan look like or why does this mm. thing have a lifespan? I think this is a good explanation of why that might be. Just to give it, to push it to a higher, more um, exactly ethereal. Because then I could see a scene where it's like it says to them, like I'm, I'm not a god. Like I'm merely a fragment of another whole. And so Mm -hmm. they can go on forever in that way, which is kind of neat. Right. But then if the the story focuses really not on that, but on the locality of this 
thousand year being and its relationship to the system, that would probably be the guts of the story, whereas the extra is its bonus. Mm -hmm. And and not only that, but seeing the like transition between beings would be kind of interesting, you know, like as a plot conceit, you know, like you're you're one of the rare humans who watches this being blink in and out of existence and like replace themselves, essentially, you know. I feel like that would be kind of mind altering to witness for some yeah. reason. Yeah. yeah, because like imagine like how time would warp for you in mm. that moment. You know, it's like we have to put the universe on hold while we reload the new <laughs> saving disc or whatever it is, you know, like that would probably warp your perception of time in a pretty significant way. Or maybe a human is required as a witness to become the new being who then becomes giga fractured. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Like if yeah. if somebody witnesses it, they become more of that and it just that's how it keeps like branching off mm -hmm, mm -hmm. could they become it the witness -y? well kind of yeah like they they yeah they kind of do but remember that because the mutable nature of these beings like they become them and become split into you know infinite possibilities of themselves as well you know so sure it's kind of like the movie arrival and the short story it's based on a story mm -hmm. of your life where Basically, a, a oh, sure. yeah. translator like translates alien language and spoilers. Um, it turns out that the aliens experience all time as one thing. And so she mm -hmm. starts to also experience it that way by learning their language. And it kind of fucks with her life in that way. I really like that one because that's, you know, like obviously it's been popularized by the movie, but it's like of all the other references we have, that's a more interesting one because it uses language to talk about it. Yeah. 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 No, I'm, I'm down with that. That's yeah. So do we have any other questions about our setting currently? I mean, I don't think we really understood much about the setting. Like we, I think we have a good grasp right. of the beings, yeah. right? And they, mm -hmm. we don't know the relationship to the planets, but there is these multiple planets. But I think we know nothing else. So yeah. I think that what we do is that in our next part, we get to know the setting through yeah. the time periods that we each bring. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. I think that's a good way to kind of approach it. Of course, we still have to roll the twist, but I yeah. think that's an interesting way to kind of approach things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and do the recap and then we can roll the twist and just get on out of here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Courtney, you started us. Well, Daniel started us off, but for the tenets, Courtney did that. So Courtney, what was your first tenet? Give us a reminder here. Uh, that this world that we're focusing on is actually multiple small worlds in the form of moons that orbit around an inhospitable planet. I feel like we've created thematic elements around fracture, and mm -hmm. I think that works. So yeah, that that's good. Cool. My first tenet was the beings who are able to perceive time differently they are able to live multiple lives at once so they can actually meet each other. There are different aspects because they're also mutable as well. And I think that we definitely followed that conceit pretty well, considering that that's a huge part of our story as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Excellent. And Daniel, your first tenet, sir. Um, that the beings have memories and they, they're not omniscient of those memories. We've definitely right. done that. I feel like, yeah, we're, we're nailing this so far. We've, we've, I feel like we've made a really cohesive world so far. So, Courtney, your second tenet. Uh, that was that there is like one of the beings or maybe multiple that felt such overwhelming guilt over seeing their actions 
have repercussions throughout history that they cut themselves off completely. And we decided that that was going to be the core uh, being Mm -hmm. who fractured into the other ones. Yeah. Uh, Again, we're just firing on all cylinders Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this is working out. Um, My second tenet was I want the tone to be a little bit lighter and I want themes of discovery and um, connection to be a big part of that. And considering that we're going to be focusing on that in the next part, I feel like I'm satisfied with where we are currently with that tenant. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that's going to get fleshed out as we figure out the rest of the setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not not to mention like themes of fracture within the self and like how you connect those back together and stuff like that. I think that mm-hmm. works out thematically as well. Cool. Uh, and Daniel, your final tenant. This one we restricted to the being that's that's the one who is many that's kind of um, separated off, but this particular being can't take action, um, physical action, um, and it's imprisoned in some way or mm-hmm. oracular. Right, and and I think that we've done that by focusing directly on the central being, and I think that was a good conceit to kind of focus on that. So, nope. yeah, we crushed it, we nailed it, we did it, and uh, I think the only thing we have left to do is roll for the twist. Uh, oh boy, not the spooky twist list for the first time in a while. We can't while. get killer yeah. clowns again. <laughs> I mean, we can <laughs> add killer clowns <laughs> to the regular it. list. That's true. That's true. The spooky twist for me is always the fact that the anime prompt is there. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's the true. Thing. Yeah. The true <laughs> horror for Daniel is true the possibility of anime always. Okay. Oh, we're, oh, I swear to God, if we get fucking blood for the blood God, I'm fucking rerolling that shit. God damn it. We got to figure it out. We, we are work. absolutely not. Fi- yeah, we're figuring it out by not doing it. That's how we're figuring it out. <laughs> that's not how twists work. Exactly. <laughs> you fuck right off, Courtney. <laughs> All right. And the twist that we're dealing with is. Now change the genre. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, what's our current genre? <laughs> yeah, do we have a genre to change? Our current genre is quite clearly science fiction. Yeah, it's like basically just science fiction right now. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I think we can roll with that because mm-hmm. right now science fiction sets the stage thematically. It's telling us, you know, a number of things about how the story needs to be structured, especially that it has to have a basis in science, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to change the genre, you could go anywhere. You could now do something like About Time, which is a romance. You could do, although it's still technically science fiction. You could do, <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, you could still do Sword and Sorcery, and that all becomes background dressing now. You know, I think there's merit there. We should just pick a genre that's very weird. I All right, think. fuckers. Uh, I'm just going to roll in the genre list, and then we, that's what we're going to go with. <laughs> All right. So instead of sci-fi, our new genre is gothic horror. Uh, <laughs> it violates your, one of your tenants. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. We're going to re-roll that one. skip that one. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're, we're just going to re-roll the genre. We're not re-rolling the twist. Ooh steampunk does that count as a different genre no steampunk can be a subgenre of fantasy or science fiction technically it is a subgenre of science fiction all right it can work i mean i'm just saying hold on easy for the love of god hold on 
paranormal romance. There we go. Okay. <laughs> That's weird. It only okay. took several rolls, but <laughs> we got to paranormal romance. All right. Great. So remember with paranormal romance, we need to figure out what the paranormal aspect is and why the person wants to fuck that paranormal aspect. <laughs> so it could be a mummy. We could be talking wolfmen. We could be doing shape of water. I'm mm-hmm. cool with whatever monster fuckery you want to deal with here. Or, I mean, if you want to go like a Patrick Swayze way and just do ghost mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. that could work as well. But that's going to be a really interesting and weird way to approach this particular setting. Yep. Dear God. Okay. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode of World Build with us, I guess. A huge thanks again to our patron, Lord of All Chris's, for submitting this particular prompt. Uh, boy, we're going to see how this goes. And remember that if you, like the Lord of All Chris's, want to submit a prompt of your own, you can go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, click the link, follow the instructions, and within a reasonable amount of time, we'll be building your world. If you want to follow us on social media, we're over on Twitter at Let's World Build. If you want to come join our Discord, there's a link for that in the description. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can give us money over on Patreon. Uh, If we've ever made you smile, laugh, or if you've ever stolen an idea for one of your campaigns or writing prompts, uh, it's always deeply appreciated if you were to give us a little bit of money over on Patreon. That's going to do it for this episode of World Build with us. Remember that we love you very much. We're going to get through this together until next week. 